You can be seated. Well, I didn't know what I wanted for Christmas, but now that I know that a harmonica belt exists, that is what I want. <laughs> Have you guys, do you see Jim's belt that holds all his harmonicas? That's cool. All right. Uh, our passage is in Philippians chapter 1, so feel free to open your Bible to Philippians 1 if you brought that with you, uh, if you brought your Bible with you. If your Bible doesn't have Philippians 1 on it, get a new Bible. Um, we're going to be uh, in, in that passage today. We're going through the year of the Bible together. If this is your first Sunday with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, from January to December this year, in honor of our church's 75th anniversary, we've been going through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation together. And with five weeks left in the year, we are almost done. We're almost to the end. So if you've been reading the Bible on your own throughout this year, please stick with it. We're almost there. I know it's a busy time of year. It's sometimes hard to make time for stuff this year, but please make this a priority. Let's, let's finish through the year strong. If you haven't done any of it this year, you know, it's not over. Like, let's, let's read through the rest of Paul's letters and Revelation together, and that'll be a blessing as you finish this year as well. So hope you're sticking with that. You're dropping your rocks in the bucket as you, as you finish each book of the Bible, and uh, let's, let's finish the year together. Well, I'm grateful that Tim led us through this exercise each year, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, to uh, get a chance to express publicly what we're grateful for. It's so encouraging to hear some of the, some of the big things and some of the small things that happen in, in your life, and we get to rejoice together what God's been doing uh, in our church and through our church this year and in your lives together this year. For me, it's such a fun thing to get to hear uh, and, and to celebrate with you how God is at work, whether it's in huge ways like the Blake family and getting to see and think back on, on what is different today than a year ago today. I like the fact that Allison spoke for Kurt. I don't think anyone ever speaks for Kurt. Kurt, Kurt likes to talk, but um, that we got to celebrate how God is at work in, in their lives, and then in, in small ways as well. And in, in 14 years of getting to do this with you, I've noticed that we tend to want to be grateful for people. You know, when, when it boils down, when we really think about what we're most grateful for in life, it tends to be people. People who are healthy, people who are here, people who we love, People who sometimes, uh, over the last 52 weeks, have kind of driven us up the wall a little bit. When we are reflective, when we're in a more um, calm state, we realize how incredibly grateful we are for these people. I think in the 14 years of doing this, I've never heard anyone be grateful for a thing. I've never had anyone get up and say, you know what I'm really grateful for? My boat. And then just sit down. <laughs> now, if you have a boat, I hope you're grateful for it. Uh, I'm grateful for your boat, especially if we can use it as a float. Um, but really, for most of us, when we're pressed of what we're most grateful for, it's people. And today, in our passage, we're going to think about how Paul is grateful for the people that had mattered deeply to him, the people of Philippi. And I, I've been thinking about, why, why do you want to listen to this sermon? Why do you want to listen to this passage? What value is there in listening to someone express to God their gratitude for other people? You have your own relationships, your own friendships, your own family relationships. You're grateful for those. But what value is there in listening to Paul express his gratitude for people in his life? So what can you and I learn from this? And I think there's two major, major things. One is, you know, listening to Paul poetically and beautifully express his gratitude for others can give all of us better language to express our gratitude to God and our gratitude to people that we love. Because sometimes we don't do a good job putting into words the things that we feel. But secondly, I think, and maybe more importantly to me at least, I hope it'll help you reframe some of the relationships that you experienced this week. Um, you know, most of our relationships, most of our friendships, most of our marriages, most of our life group relationships, 
most of our relationships with our kids or our grandkids are somewhere in that glass half full category where there's things we're grateful for about them and there's things that we're irritated by in them. There's things that we are wanting to lift up to God. We're so grateful for the way that they help us in this way. And then there's longings and absences where we say, I wish that they were different. And I think as we look at how Paul expresses his gratitude for the Philippians, I hope it'll reframe some of the irritations and grumpiness that sometimes marks our lives. So let's get into in Philippians 1. Uh, this is the opening of Paul's most joy-filled letter. And I, I said let's get into it, but actually, before we do that, um, since this is the year of the Bible, I want to explain a little bit about what it means that Paul wrote these letters. This is going to be kind of brief, but uh, Tim, the last couple of weeks, gave wonderful sermons on Romans and on 1 Corinthians. And those are two, and Philippians is the third one, of 13 letters that Paul wrote that are contained in the New Testament. The New Testament is 27 books long. About half of it is letters that Paul wrote. And they're unlike anything that comes before in the Bible. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, we read histories, we read narratives, we read books of poetry like the Psalms and wisdom literature like Proverbs. We read prophetic warnings but we don't have letters. And then the first part of the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts, are biographies, biographies of Jesus and of the early church. And that kind of makes sense. We understand how that would work. And then we get into Romans, and most of the rest of the New Testament are these letters written by one person to another person or a community of people that's meant to get across how you're supposed to live the Christian life in this instance. And Paul's letters, or what are sometimes called epistles, are a majority of those. Um, they're written to churches or maybe to an individual in order to help them know how to live the Christian life. And while they're personal to those situations, they're also universal. They help us understand how the Christian gospel applies to our life as well. Paul's um, first, the first two of the letters that Paul wrote that Tim gave sermons on the last two weeks are from Romans and 1 Corinthians, which are the two longest of Paul's letters, which is why I assigned them to Tim. And uh, no, I, I know they're the longest because they come first. This is, this is just an aside. Maybe this will be interesting to you. If you've ever wondered why the New Testament's organized the way it is and the order that it is, um, all of Paul's letters are arranged in the order from the longest to the shortest. So Romans comes first because it's longest. 1 Corinthians is the second longest, so it goes second. Philemon goes at the end of the 13 letters because it's only one page. So now you don't have to go to seminary. Now you know that. <laughs> well, Paul's letters are more than just helpful advice from one person to another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that he too has the Spirit of God in him and that these letters are meant to represent the authoritative Word of God into people's lives. And the early church immediately saw that. They began distributing these letters to other Christians around the Roman Empire. And Peter, when he wrote 2 Peter, said that they should be grouped, Paul's letters should be grouped with the rest of the scriptures from the Old Testament. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about 2 Timothy 3. Within a couple generations, these letters are all over the Roman world and become the crux of, of what we know of as the New Testament. And while they address specific situations 2,000 years later in a very different language and very different culture than the one they were written in, they help us understand how to live the Christian life as well. And so when we read Philippians 1 and we see Paul's deep gratitude for his friends, we learn something really important about what it means to live out of gratitude for the gospel of Jesus in 21st century California today. Well, this passage kind of breaks up into three sections. The first one's the longest, and we'll spend the most time on it. It's about why Paul is so grateful for the Philippians. And then, after he talks about why he's grateful for them, he talks about two reasons they can have hope. And we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on each of these. How they can have hope because of uh, their hope for eternal life in Christ. And then secondly, his hope and his longing that they would grow in love 
That's where we'll finish our time today. So let's talk about verses 3 to 5. Every Christian needs partners in the gospel. Paul's deeply grateful for the Philippians because they were willing to stand with him in the mission that God gave him. This is how he describes it in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This section, verses 3 to 8, is one long sentence in Greek, and it's all about how Paul thanks God. He thanks God for the Philippians. Everything comes out of that gratitude for Paul. Every time he remembers them, he's grateful for them. I wonder, who are the people that you're most grateful for in your life? Who are the people that when you think of them, it turns your heart towards gratitude, uh, towards, towards gratitude with God? Now, for Paul, it's the Philippians, and he says the reason he's thankful for them is because they've partnered with him in the gospel. They've aligned with him in the mission that God has called them to from the first day until now. The first day for Paul and the Philippians, you can read about in Acts 16 if you want. When Paul came to Philippi, there were no Christians there. And so he came and he found some people who had some awareness of the Old Testament. Maybe they were Jewish, maybe not, and uh, told them about Jesus. And the first person to convert to Christianity was a woman named Lydia. And she began to host the church in her house, a wealthy businesswoman from modern-day Turkey. And uh, through that very small, inauspicious beginning, Paul and his co-worker Silas begin to preach the gospel in Philippi, see people respond, see people come to faith in Christ, and uh, it ultimately comes to a head, and Paul and Silas are in prison because of what they've done in terms of uh, pronouncing the gospel in Philippi. And the Philippians stand with Paul as they see that the gospel is worth suffering for. And this miraculous moment happens in the middle of the night, when Paul's in Philippi, again, you read about this in Acts 16, where where God sends an earthquake and the jail is thrown open. But Paul and Silas, and what maybe is even more of a miracle, choose not to escape, even though they could. And they stay there to show the Philippians the gospel is worth defending and worth suffering for. And from that first day until now, Paul says, you have stood with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. After he and Silas left Philippi to continue uh, their missionary journeys, the Philippians made it a point to support him financially and more than that with people. The Philippians sent some of their best young men and women to go and encourage Paul everywhere he went, including in his time in prison. They sent members to care for him, and when he is in prison, to bring him food every day. Now, this is no small uh, sacrifice, right? In the Roman prison system, there was no uh, central governing group who brought you food. If no one brought you food when you're in prison, you just starved to death. And that's how the Romans sort of dealt with their prison problem. But the, the Philippian church was willing to endure the shame of aligning with Paul in the face of his imprisonment. This would have cost them socially, and as a former military colony, probably wouldn't have been their first inclination. But because of their deep gratitude for the gospel and the deep gratitude for Paul, they stand with him even in the face of tremendous pain. That's a very different experience than Paul's earlier life, right? If you, if you know Paul's story, if you've read about it before or heard about it in Sunday school or something, you know that Paul didn't exactly grow up going to VBS, right? Paul, Paul was not a Christian from... No, yeah, is that... Did I ruin something for you there, Andrew? <laughs> Paul spent the early part of his life uh, opposed to the work of Christ. He saw that as a threat to the integrity of Israel religiously, a threat to their national identity, and his goal was to drive out this burgeoning Christian movement. And he did it through force, even to the point of approving of the martyrdom of uh, people like Stephen. 
But because of Jesus' direct intervention in Paul's life, which if you haven't heard before, you can read about in Acts chapter 9, Paul goes from being a persecutor of the church to being someone who was persecuted on behalf of the mission of the church. And Paul says, it wasn't just me, but you were willing to do that with me to the Philippians. And it's a special thing to find people who are invested in the same mission you are, isn't it? It's a, it's a special thing to find people who are willing to lock arms with you and move in the same direction. It's a special thing to find people who care deeply about seeing the same mission accomplished that you do. And Paul says, you are my partners in the gospel. And because of that, I'm so grateful to God when I think of you. It's a lonely thing to find people, to find that no one cares about what you care about, especially when it's something as core as the mission of God. And Paul says, you are people who are willing to sacrifice and prioritize the mission of God. And because of that, I'm deeply grateful for you. Now, some people would object at this point and say, yeah, no, that, that's special. It's special to find people who care about what you care about. But, you know, there's lots of places you could find that. You don't have to find that in the church, right? There's people that could be your partners in, I don't know, fighting climate change or your partners in the military who are carrying out the same mission in your platoon as you are or partners who are helping to care for an elderly member of your family. Like, aren't there lots of noble ways that you can build partnerships and build community around things? Like, you, you don't just have to find friends like Paul does in, in missions. Like, that's great for you. But for me, I find uh, that in my ultimate Frisbee team. Like, we're, we're sacrificing together to make sure the Frisbee doesn't touch the ground. Is that ultimate Frisbee? That is ultimate Frisbee, right? Okay, all right, thanks. Are you just to do that amen thing all day? Is that a thing? <laughs> um, and I would say that, that it's true, right? I mean, we... I think there's something very deep in us as people that we want to find people who care about the same thing we do and pull in the same direction we do. But I don't think that's a threat to what Paul's saying in this passage. In fact, I think it underlines it. I think it shows us that all of us as people were made to find partners that were on the same mission that we're on. But as a Christian, I would say even more than the missions of a military unit or a parenting couple or a mission to combat climate change or, or a mission to engage a hobby together, as meaningful as those might be in the moment, they pale in comparison to the mission of God. You know, you and I were put on earth to participate in God's mission, to bring the message of reconciliation between God and man through Christ to the ends of the earth. And when we find people who deeply care about that mission, there is a joy and a conviviality and a partnership that Paul experiences with the Philippians. Now, you might say, Bob, that hasn't been my experience. Like, I just have church friends. Like, I don't have gospel partners. I just have people who don't make fun of me when I say I'm going to a Chris Tomlin concert. Like, that, that's not the same, right? And, and I want to make that distinction, right, between Christian friends and gospel partners. Because we need Christian friends, right? We need people that we can send our eight-year-old to their house and trust that they're not going to watch an R-rated movie or who aren't going to make fun of us for skipping brunch on a Sunday. Like, we need Christian friends. But, but more than that, we need gospel partners, something much deeper than just a Christian friendship. Someone who, like us, is living our life in the direction of seeing people come to know and grow in Christ. Uh, whose purpose, like ours, is entwined with seeing the mission of God around the world. How do you know if it's a, a, just a friendship or a gospel partnership? Well, let me see. With friends, these are the kind of questions you ask. What do we like about each other? What do we have in common? How can this person help me accomplish my goals, and how can I help them accomplish their individual goals? And those aren't bad, right? You, you should have friends. I hope you have friends. 
But with Gospel Partners, we're also asking the question, how can we move the mission of Christ forward together? So who are your partners in the Gospel? If I were to ask you who your friends were, maybe you'd have an answer for that, but, but let me ask the, the next question beyond that. Who are your partners in the Gospel? Maybe the first person to come to mind is your spouse, if you're married, if you're married to a Christian. Um, and if so, I, that's a wonderful blessing. For Paul, that wouldn't have been his answer. He was single. He didn't have a Christian spouse. But he had gospel partners nonetheless. Maybe it's a missionary or a ministry partner that you get to serve with. You know, a part of what we give as a church goes to our, what we call our missionary partners around the world. And we use that language intentionally to, to echo some of Paul's language here. Maybe it's someone you serve with. You know, I, when I get to hang out with our youth volunteers or with our children's ministry staff, and I see how they have a partnership as they work together to try to bring the gospel to the kids around us. I'm really encouraged by that. Maybe as a parent, you see Lois, or you see Randy, or you see Jason, you see a gospel partner who shares the same message of helping your kids and kids in our community come to know Christ. Whoever it is, I hope that you have gospel partnerships, not just Christian friends. Now, it's not an either-or, right? It's not you have to put them in one bucket or the other. The question's more, how can I move my Christian friendships in the direction of being gospel partnerships? Paul was deeply grateful for the Philippians because of this, because he knew their trust in the gospel. He knew what mattered to them. And because of that, he had hope that God would preserve them forever. He describes it in verse 6 this way. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You and I and the Philippians need to be reminded that we can trust in God and that he will preserve us forever. I hope this week that one of the things you're deeply grateful for is the security that you and I have before God because of Christ. Paul assures the Philippians about their future hope because he knows that they are forgiven by grace. This is how he describes it in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace. And what a great way to describe the Christian life. You are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Those are two pretty radically different experiences, though, right? You're partakers of grace with me when things look horrible, right, in my imprisonment, and when things look wonderful in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You're partakers with me of grace when things go exceedingly terribly and when they go exceedingly well. And in both situations, ultimately, your future is secure. What Paul's saying to the Philippians, we're saying to, to us today, is that our well-being before God will never change because of grace. Even when things look like they're going horribly wrong in this life, or when they look like they're going wonderfully well, that our standing before God doesn't go up and down. Even if our life situation, our life circumstances seem to go up and down. This is the result of the grace of God. Paul says, because you're partakers with me of that, I can trust that one day that we will stand before God together. James Bryan Smith says it this way, because of the grace of God, you are never in trouble, and the kingdom of God is never in trouble. You are never in trouble, and the kingdom is never in trouble. This really contrasts with Paul's earlier view of the spiritual life, though, right? If you remember, before Paul became a Christian, his standing before God was always going up and down based on how good or how bad he was. He worked exceedingly hard to make sure that he was always acceptable to God, being zealous for the law, zealous in order to keep his standing before God secure. But when he becomes a Christian, when he sees how the gospel changes that, he's able to tell the Philippians and us, as fellow partakers of grace, that God who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And we can be grateful for that as well. Well, okay, 
last couple minutes here. I know it's getting close to noon, so this will be short. Um, but I do want to take a couple minutes to talk about this. Usually in our culture, when we talk about gratitude, we talk about it as an equal of contentment. And we say, because of that, you shouldn't want anything else. In fact, have you ever said to yourself or to someone in your life, you need to be grateful for what you have, not for what you don't have, right? Have you ever said that? Uh, if not, you haven't parented very long. Okay. Um, and, and, that's, and, and that's not a bad sentiment. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be content, and thanksgiving is a good expression of contentment. But Paul's going to do something different in this last passage that I, I think is really worth bearing in mind, and, and worth bearing in mind especially this week, where he says, because of what I'm grateful for about you, I long to see more of that in you. Because of what I'm so confident is in you, I want to see more of that in you. He ties thanksgiving and longing together rather than separate them. Normally, we're kind of offended by longing when it comes to thanksgiving. That's why when Walmart says they're going to be open on Thanksgiving Day for us to buy more things, some of us kind of rebel and we say, no, no, 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day is not the time to buy a 40-inch TV. Like, 60-inch maybe, but not a 40-inch TV. <laughs> no, Paul says something really important in this passage. He says that because I'm so grateful for you, because I'm so grateful for the love I see in you, I long to see that love increase. Listen to how Paul prays for his friends in verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear what Paul's praying for? He's praying that they would grow in love. Now, this is not a slam on them. Remember, these are like the model Christians. These are the ones that in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthians, you need to be more like them. Like, these are the ones who have modeled Christian love. And yet Paul says, this is the never-ending quest of every believer, that we would grow and abound in love more and more, because there's always room for you and I to grow in love. And that longing to grow in that, that longing to improve in that, isn't at odds with thanksgiving, but it's actually an expression of thanksgiving. That when we are thankful to God for the lives of the people around us, we're thankful for the way that they have loved us and they have shown Christ's love for us. The natural response isn't just to be grateful, but to pray that that love would increase and abound more and more. Growing in love is a necessary and never-ending quest because it is the core of the Christian life. And, and I want to end my time here uh, with a number of passages where Paul describes this. And I think it's going to be helpful for you to hear Paul say in a variety of ways, in a variety of his writings, um, and reflect on these passages about what it means that Christ's love is the fulfillment of the law. That, and that when we represent that, when we embody that, when we live out of that love, we fulfill the purpose of the law ourselves. So there's about eight passages. Don't feel like you have to write them down. If you really want the references, you can email me later. Um, but I just want you to listen to Paul's words in a variety of books that he's written about how love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 10, love does, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do 
be done in love. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Colossians 3.14, and above these all put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's end there with, with Paul's wish, with Paul's hope for the Philippians, like it would be for us, that our thanksgiving would lead to love. Heading into this Thanksgiving holiday, how grateful are you? How grateful are you for the people around you, the people who have pointed you to the love of Christ? Now, I, I don't say this to shame you or to discourage you, to sort of pump you and say, like, be more grateful, you jerk. You know, like that's sort of shame-based. That's not helpful. And it's often rooted in comparison. You know, we often tell people, think about all those who have less than you, and you should be more grateful. No, that, that's, that's not helpful. Paul models a more helpful frame of gratitude. Writing from, pri from prison, writing, possible, writing while he's facing possible execution, he, ex he exudes gratitude. Gratitude for the people that have partnered in the gospel work with him, grateful for the hope that they have in Christ, and grateful with a sense of longing and hope their love would increase more and more for God and love for their neighbor. That's my prayer for you as well. A couple questions for you to think about and pray about this week. When you think about your Christian friendships, where do you notice ones that strongly center on partnership with the gospel? And how can you fan those more into a flame? Secondly, where is your life marked by increasing love? Love that's knowledgeable, discerning, pure, blameless, righteous. And where is it marked by decreasing love? How can you join with your gospel partners in praying that your love may abound more and more? Let's close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you give us one another to grow in love together. God, thank you for this church and the way that we get a partner in the gospel work here and around the world. Thank you that this process will one day lead to us standing before you with joy and purity. God, thank you for all these things. Give us patience and grace for one another until then knowing that you are patient and gracious with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.